You may be seated. A reading from Acts, the fourth chapter. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, and it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, Mananus the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And here they're referring to the healing of the man who was laid at the gate. Peter approached this cripple man at the gate and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I give to you, I say, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And that's why these uh, apostles were arrested that day is because of this healing and the preaching that followed. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, and that is the name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for truly in this city, 
There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon those threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the transformation that took place when the Holy Spirit filled your church 2,000 years ago. I thank you that you have also filled us with your Holy Spirit. And by your word, working uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you continue to transform us even today, to transform us into your image and likeness that we too would go as witnesses to all the world. So teach us today about this this, this great vision which you have given to the church, that we are a people gathered around your word and sacraments, and by your word and sacraments we are, we are transformed. The grace that is given to us transforms us, and that we then go in the power of the Holy Spirit as your witnesses. So open our eyes today to your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and continue this work of transformation in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the leaders of the congregation and I have formulated a vision statement for future ministry here at Maple Park. I believe that a simple vision is important for a congregation. It's important for a congregation to know where we're going and why we're going there. If the vision is too wordy, nobody's going to remember it. And if nobody can remember it, why have it? So I've given to you a simple, a simple three-word vision. Does anybody remember those three words? Well, we're going to, you're, you're probably going to get uh, pretty sick with me pretty soon because we're going to be talking about these three words quite a bit. The three words, number one, are gather, gather. Uh, then number two, transform. And then number three is go. So we are called by God to gather together. And when we gather together around God's word, the Holy Spirit transforms us by his grace. And as we are transformed, we go in the power of the Holy Spirit as a visible expression of the risen Christ. So we are called in the scriptures. There's nothing new about this. 
There's nothing new about this in, in the history of the church, in the Bible, or at the history of, of Maple Park. We know that we are called to gather together. And we know that, that God's grace transforms us. And we know that we are called to go in the power of the Holy Spirit as a visible expression of the risen Christ. So three words, gather, transform, and go. And why do we do this? Well, we seek to glorify God. We seek to glorify God by gathering around word and sacraments. To be transformed by grace. And to go in the power of the Holy Spirit as a visible expression of the risen Christ. Each of these is vital to the ministry of the church. Each of these is a challenge. Many do not gather. They do not gather to hear the preaching of God's word and to partake of the sacraments. They neglect meeting together, as many are in the habit of doing. And therefore, they, they, they are not transformed by grace. And because they're not transformed, they're not going. And because they're not going, more are not being gathered in. In our day, the North American church, it seems to me, is in a strange funk. Where almost no one within the church heeds the call to go. To go as a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And then we wonder, why are so many churches in North America struggling and shrinking? Well, Jesus already told us what to do. He told us that we are to be a church that goes. So as we gather, we are transformed. As we are transformed, it's automatic for us then to go. What do we do? The believers in Acts chapter 4, at the end of the reading, they did something, and we need to emulate what they did. They gathered together and they prayed. They prayed. Prayer is so important. So we pray. We pray. And I encourage you to, to, to be about this work of prayer for the church and for the mission of the church in our community. I believe one of the, the ingredients that, that the church in North America is missing today is this thing called prayer. Church, we are to gather in prayer as they did in the early church. So I encourage you to be a part of, of prayer meetings here at Maple Park. There's a prayer meeting that meets on Sunday at 10 a.m. There's a prayer meeting now that meets on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. The first Sunday of every month, a prayer walk. But if the weather's nasty, a prayer gathering is scheduled. I encourage you to join with brothers and sisters in Christ to pray as they did in the early church. So we pray, that is what we do. We pray and then we put our hand to the plow. You remember what Jesus said about putting the hand to the plow? He said, put your hand to the plow and do not look back. So we go about the work that we have been called to do in the mission field 
of our community. We put our hand to the plow knowing full well that we, we will be mocked, we will be persecuted, It'll be hard. It'll be a challenge. If we are going to follow Jesus into his mission as a people gathered, transformed, and going, there will be great difficulty in this calling that Christ has given to us. So this is a challenge. But today I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Who is the one who really accomplishes the mission? Is it us? No. It is the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it is the work of the Spirit to accomplish the mission of the church. He is the one who accomplishes this in us. And I hope you walk away from this sermon with that instilled in your mind. It is the Holy Spirit. It is his work. It is the Holy Spirit who calls us together. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms us. And it is the Holy Spirit that then gives us the power that we need to go as a visible expression of the resurrected Christ. And if we don't understand this paradigm of, of gather and transform, of being transformed by his word, then we will never go. But when we are transformed, we cannot help but go and tell others of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is all the work of the Spirit. So this morning, I'd like to take some time to study God's Word. I'd like to take a look at the transformation that happened by the Holy Spirit in the lives of the first followers of Jesus Christ. So let's look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21, if we can go there, Matt. I want us to, to take note of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. This is just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has, had been raised from the dead. And let's see where the disciples are on the evening of that first Easter Sunday. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which was actually the first Easter Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Notice the doors. Notice the doors. What was the situation with the doors? They were locked. Why were they locked? The disciples were afraid. They were afraid. Jesus had just been arrested. Jesus had just been crucified. So here they are. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Now let's skip down to John 20, 26. This is eight days later. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although, what's with the doors? The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Here the disciples are. 
gathered together, but the doors are locked. On Friday, Jesus had died a horrific death at the hands of the Jews. The disciples knew that they were implicated by association with Jesus. The disciples feared their own cross. The disciples were afraid. The doors were locked. They lived without any impact on their neighborhood. Zero impact. Does this sound familiar? Does Jesus want us to live in such a way that Maple Park Church impacts this community? Or does he want us to remain a holy huddle? Huddled together, cloistered away in the safety of our Christian community. How does Jesus want us to live? The disciples gathered, but they gathered with the doors locked. You see, they had not yet been transformed by the Holy Spirit. They had not yet been transformed by the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Listen to what Jesus had promised the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples gathered with the doors locked, but they had not yet been transformed by the infilling of the Spirit. And because they had not been transformed by the Holy Spirit, they could not go with boldness as a visible expression proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we fast forward to Acts chapter 2. First Easter Sunday, they're locked in the room for fear of the Jews. Eight days later, they're still in the room with the doors locked. Now we go to Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2. And most of us know the story. The promised Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit fills the room where they were gathered together. And at the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples spoke in foreign languages that they had never learned. The, they, they spoke the gospel in the native languages of those gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They spoke in intelligible languages, which they had never learned, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter stood up without fear and with boldness, and he proclaimed the gospel publicly after the Holy Spirit had filled them. So we go to Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Think about it. Fifty days before this event, 
They're in a room with the doors locked. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter stands up, and all who had been filled with the Holy Spirit go public with the message of the resurrection. And how many people responded to that public proclamation of the gospel? How many people were baptized that first Pentecost Sunday? About 3,000. 3,000 were added to the church that day. Had the danger gone away? Was the church still in danger of the authorities? Now we go to this morning's reading, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests of the, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Let's not forget that in John chapter 20, they're huddled together for fear of the Jews. Even after the resurrected Jesus appeared to them, eight days later, they're still gathered together for fear with the doors locked. Why are they boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ some 50 days later? Had they worked up some courage within themselves? Had they found a way to transform themselves? Absolutely not. The courage to witness does not come from within us. The courage to witness comes from on high. The courage to witness comes from the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the account of ordinary people. Even uneducated people. People with no seminary training even. Transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as bold witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, we see that the authorities were greatly annoyed. We go to Acts chapter 4, the authorities were filled with jealousy, so they arrest them again. This time, the angel, an angel came and opened the doors of the prison for them, and they escaped. In Acts chapter 7, they are filled with rage. In Acts chapter 7, they murder Stephen. And Saul is there giving approval as they hurl stones at Stephen. And Stephen dies. In Acts chapter 8, there's an organized program of persecution against the church organized by Saul of Tarsus. You see the elevation here of hostility? As they went and proclaimed... Their boldness is high, but the hostility is still even as high. In Acts chapter 12, the first apostle, James, the brother of John, is murdered. They also capture Peter, and Peter miraculously escapes prison. Every apostle, every apostle with the exception of John, died a terrible martyr's death. Why did they die? Why were they murdered? Why were they killed? They were killed 
because they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is it that these people who were in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews could be transformed to such an extent that they would so boldly proclaim the resurrection that in proclaiming it, they knew that they would face persecution and even death. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had filled them. The disciples were truly a visible expression of the risen Christ. They lived this resurrection reality. They proclaimed this resurrection reality. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was their life. It was their everything. And it transformed them that they too were willing to die for the sake of the message. Acts chapter 4 verses 15 through 21 But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach in that name, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and listen to this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Talk about a transformation from locked doors for fear of the Jews to public proclamation before the authorities, before these authorities who had the power to kill them. So I ask this question of you today. Should our relationship with Jesus only be personal? Should it only be personal? Many people say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's basically saying, I know who Jesus is. I know that he is my Savior. I know that he died on the cross for me and that he rose again for me. And I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. To have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ And it is my prayer that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through which you are being transformed. There's nothing more wonderful or beautiful than that. But here's the problem. For many, it's only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ hasn't called us to merely have a personal relationship with him. He has also called us to have a public relationship with him. That we would know Christ. And that knowing Christ would then cause us to go public with the reality of who he is and what he has done, not only for you, but for the whole world. 
the disciples couldn't help but speak of what they had seen and heard. It is my prayer that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know him as Savior. But it's also my prayer that you would not keep it only personal, but that you would also make it known publicly. That you would be like the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, and not able to help but to speak of what the Lord has done for you and how he has transformed you. How does this transform happen? We gather, we're transformed, and we go. But how does the transform happen? It happens by grace alone. By grace alone. I hope you've come to understand by now that you cannot transform yourself. You can't transform yourself. You know how hard I have tried to live the good Christian life that the scriptures call me to live? You know how hard I've tried? And do you know how many times I've fallen flat on my, fallen flat on my face? Now, I, I call it the, the Bible camp syndrome. We uh, gather at Bible camp with, with uh, teenagers every year, and then the teenagers stand up and they give their testimony about how they're always going to be faithful. They're never going to miss church again. They're... You know, they're going to pray every day. They're going to read their Bible every day. You know, they're so excited about Jesus. And then what happens? They, they leave camp and, and reality hits. And just like me and you, they fall flat on their face again. We can't transform ourselves. This transformation that happens within us is by the Holy Spirit bestowing his grace upon us. Our being transformed is the gracious activity of God in our lives, and it's a gracious activity that he does through his word. So when you open the word, do you understand everything you read in the, in the Bible every time you open it up? Absolutely not. I don't even, I, I have a seminary training in education, and sometimes I look at it and I oh, i got to get the big books out and start studying this thing because I don't understand what it, what, it, what it means here. It's not that we understand everything that we read in it. But it's knowing that this is God's word. And through his word, he bestows his grace upon us. And by his grace, we are transformed. The Holy Spirit uses his word to transform us. Did you know that your Bible is no ordinary book? Sure, uh, the paper and the ink is, is very ordinary. But this contains, it is the very Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is not the Word of man. It is the Word of God. Did you know that, that when God speaks... Things happen. When God speaks, things happen. Uh, did you know that, that in the beginning, when God spoke, the universe came into existence? When God speaks, things happen. Wouldn't it be amazing for us to have the ability to, to, uh, to speak and to have things come to be? 
like God can speak and bring things into existence, for me to speak this amazing Camaro into existence right now, wouldn't that be great? (laughs) I can't do that. I can't do that. But when God speaks, it comes to pass. When God speaks, it comes into being. When the Word was made flesh, Jesus, true God, eternally begotten of the Father, when He spoke, things happened. When Jesus spoke, things happened. Do you remember the account of the death of Lazarus? Jesus went to the tomb, and what did Jesus do when he was at the tomb? He spoke into the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and what happened? He came out. Amazing, amazing. Lazarus came out. The man who died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. All Jesus had to do was speak. And Lazarus came out. Did you know that Jesus has spoken into the graveyard of your heart? He has spoken over you. He has spoken into your heart. Jesus, the living word of God, spoke life. He spoke life into your dead, cold, stony heart. He liberated you from death and brought you to life by the power of his word. How does transformation happen? Is it something that we do in and of ourselves? Do we work up a certain boldness within us to be like the the apostles were in the book of Acts? Is it something from us? No. It is the work of the Holy Spirit through the power of his word. The enemy works so hard. He works so hard. And how does he work? He works to keep us from this. If he keeps us away from his word... And we are not hearing the word of God, then the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is not at work within us. So the enemy is going to do everything he can to keep us from the truth of his word. So we pray. We pray. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one that we may open the word of God, hear the word of God, and be transformed by the word of God so that we too can go as a visible expression of the risen Christ. And this has already been done for you. Did you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's there. When when Jesus spoke into your life, when he spoke life into you, the Holy Spirit entered in. 
So we have the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let me share a little testimony with you now of my own life, of how the Holy Spirit works. Now, I believe the gospel at a very young age. I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. And uh, I knew Jesus, and, and when I was probably about 14, 15 years old, I, for some reason, I, I had no interest in the Bible, but I decided to open the Bible. I think I had some Mormon friends that lived across the street, and they were trying to convince me that they were right, and I was wrong, so I said, I better pick up my Bible. So I picked up the Word of God, and I began to read in Romans for some reason. I just sort of flipped through the Bible, and I thought, Romans sounds interesting. And so I began to read from the book of Romans. Did I understand everything in the book of Romans as a 15, 14, 15-year-old? Absolutely not. I didn't. <laughs> um, and, and to be quite honest with you, I, I still don't understand everything in Romans. I still have a lot of learning to do. But verses from Romans began to jump off the page, things that I knew and I had believed and I had been taught begin to jump off the pages of, of the book of Romans. And life came to me. So about, about that time, we started attending the Lutheran Brethren Church, a sister church in Marysville. I was involved in the youth group there, and my youth pastor asked me if I'd like to go on a, on a uh, mission trip to a place called Rancho Cucamonga, California. And at one time, we had a church in this place called Rancho Cucamonga, California. And I thought, that sounds exciting. Never been to California. Uh, never been to a place called Rancho Cucamonga either. That sounds kind of neat. <laughs> so, uh, so we all load up in the old church bus. We had this old Dodge Church uh, two-tone brown bus. And us kids get into this bus, and we head down for Southern California. We do a little training. And um, then they were giving these assignments for the Vacation Bible School that, that we were going to help teach. And I was a very shy 15-year-old. Uh, and um, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in myself or in my ability. And the assignments were given, and all of a sudden I, I heard uh, my name and first grade put together. And I thought to myself, I, I, I almost had one of these panic attacks when I heard that I was going to be the first grade teacher. I thought, how in the world am I going to do this? How can I teach first graders anything? So I began to pray in earnest that God would help me. I get the little booklet that's given and I look through it, I plan my lesson, and uh, here I have a group of about eight first graders, and they did the vacation Bible school out in a park, and uh, so I had this, this group of, of uh, first graders, and I began to teach them the Bible story. And then at the end of the Bible story, I give the invitation, and I say, if you're if you came to VBS this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, today we can pray and Jesus can come to live in your heart and you can have all of your sins forgiven. And I thought that, you know, the whole thing from beginning to end was a complete failure. 
And so I've had them bow their heads and I lead them in a prayer. And then I said, if that was the first time that you've ever asked Jesus into your heart, could you please raise your hand? This is what we were taught to do for the Vacation Bible School program. And every hand, except for one, went up. And in that moment, I came to the realization that you are called. You are called because I have never been so excited about my, in, in my faith before as that time when I had opportunity to, to lead kids to Jesus Christ. And then I went on to teach many other weeks of VBS during that mission trip. They had three weeks of vacation Bible school. And I was absolutely blown away that the Holy Spirit could so work in my heart as to share the gospel with people and then to see people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has been my passion in life. Did that come from me? Was that my ability? Was that because I was a real, no, I wasn't a smart kid. I hated school. Did you know that, that in my school they had a program called the Self-Managers Program? And if you were a good kid, you got to earn a self-manager badge. I think I was the only kid in school that didn't have a self-manager badge. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And he worked in me. And he can do the same for you. He has called you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit.